There is a very common belief in the world today called syncretism, which is the belief that every religion is equal and interchangeable. People express this belief when they say that it does not matter whom or how someone worships as long as that worship is personally meaningful to the person. Or when someone talks about God as a mountain, we are all just going up different sides. I myself was a syncretist when I was in high school, because most of the people around me were syncretists too. Syncretism develops for two reasons. The first is that the highest value of society today is tolerance, and the most grievous sin is intolerance. To claim that one religion is more correct than another, or to say that one religion might be better than another, is to sin grievously in the popular opinion. So syncretism steps in as a way to allow us to talk about religion while still remaining tolerant. The second reason syncretism develops, in my mind the more honest and understandable reason, is that when we observe humanity and its history, we observe that every society and every corner of the world has been religious since the dawn of human beings. There was no such thing as an atheistic society until the so-called Enlightenment. And even in our post-Enlightenment world, traditional religion is often replaced with other spiritual practices, such as yoga or nature worship. When we see that nearly every person who has ever lived has worshipped some form of God or gods, it is natural to conclude that every religion is just a different cultural expression of the same human religious impulse. And this conclusion is not necessarily wrong. There is a human religious impulse, and every religion is a different cultural expression of that impulse. The Church herself even goes so far as to say that, since there is only one God, every different religion is responding to this one same God in their own unique way. Every religion, in this sense, contains seeds of truth. But we fall into syncretism when we say that every religion is responding equally and with the same accuracy to this one God. We fall into syncretism when we say that the Hindu pantheon, Native American spiritism, and monotheism all reflect the nature of God equally well. See, the major problem with syncretism is that it does not account for revelation. If God were locked up in heaven and never spoke to humanity, then the idea that all worship is equally valid would absolutely be true, or would at least be as true as the idea that all philosophies are equally valid or all political ideas are equally valid. But if God has spoken to humanity, then we now have to divide religions into those which accept what he has spoken and those which do not. 
or miracle of miracles, if God himself came down from heaven, we are now forced to divide religion even further into those religions which which accept the Incarnation and those which do not. And this is where Christianity finds itself. The central belief of Christianity is that God became man. If a Christian were to say that every religion is equal, including those religions which deny the Incarnation, then that Christian is either denying the reality of the Incarnation or is denying that the Incarnation is important in any way. Of course, even among those who believe in the Incarnation, we have massive divisions. And this is where things begin to get complicated. In one sense, it is not syncretism to say that every Christian denomination is equal. The Catholic Church herself has always believed and professed that there is only one baptism, which is equally valid for all the baptized. There is no difference between Catholic baptism and Orthodox baptism and Presbyterian baptism and Evangelical baptism. If someone has been baptized in the name of the Trinity, we never, ever rebaptize them when they join the Catholic Church. In this way, all Christians really are equally Christian because their baptisms are equally valid. However, in another sense, it is syncretism to say that every Christian denomination is the same. Logically, we cannot all be correct. Either we are predestined for salvation, or we are not. Either our actions in this life affect our salvation, or they do not. Either the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ on the altar, or they do not. We are tempted to believe that these divisions amongst Christians would all go away had Jesus not ascended into heaven. If only the Lord were here to tell us exactly what to do and what to believe, everything would be fine, right? Unfortunately, this is not the perspective of the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament writers found hyper-specific instructions from Jesus to be so unimportant that they did not even record what Jesus taught his disciples during the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. Maybe it's just me, but that seems like it could have been very helpful information. Instead, the New Testament writers focus all of their attention on the sending of the Holy Spirit, Because it is the Holy Spirit who will guide the church, and who, after the ascension, will ensure that the church continues to follow the will of God. Jesus is very smart to have done this. If the experience of parents with children is in any indication, we human beings very quickly begin to resent an external authority telling us what to do. Even if Jesus' continued presence would have brought us certainty of belief, 
it would not have helped us love him. Instead, by ascending into heaven and sending the Holy Spirit, the Lord gave us someone who can convince us from the inside, who can turn us to conversion and repentance, who can ensure that the law of God is written on our hearts. St. Paul, in our second reading, confirms that this is the role of the Holy Spirit when he refers to the Holy Spirit as a spirit of wisdom and revelation resulting in knowledge of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who will bring us to proper belief and right worship. Every Christian is given the Holy Spirit at their baptism. Unfortunately, because the Holy Spirit works through our hearts, it is very easy to confuse his voice with our own, to believe that the movements of our hearts come from him when they are really nothing more than our own desires. This is why it is essential to listen to the Holy Spirit as a community. But again, just like with the worship of Almighty God, not every community, religion, or denomination is the same in discerning the movements of the Spirit. We should hope that every Christian denomination strives to listen openly to the Spirit. But how can we determine which denominations are most successful at hearing His voice? It seems to me that the Spirit is marked by two very important characteristics. The first comes to us from the Acts of the Apostles, which discusses the role of the Holy Spirit in the Church more extensively than any other book of the Bible. In the Acts of the Apostles, the Spirit is regularly shown to be actively directing the Church, helping the Apostles know where to go and what to do, and giving them tools for preaching the gospel. In other words, the Spirit helps the Church adjust to different times and contexts. The second characteristic of the Holy Spirit comes to us from the Gospel of St. John, who often describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Truth. So if we are trying to find the Christian community most guided by the Holy Spirit— we are going to want to look for signs that the community is responsive to new challenges while continuing to be anchored in perennial Christian truths. It should come as no surprise to anyone here that I believe that this community is the Catholic Church. On the one hand, some Christians are far more closed off to the world than we Catholics are. The Mennonites, for example, reject modern culture and modern technology out of fear of corrupting their faith. While the Orthodox have struggled to develop any new approaches to theology since the fall of the Byzantine Empire. On the other hand, some Christians are far more malleable in their principles than the Catholic Church. The Episcopal Church, for example, has changed nearly every one of its moral teachings in the course of the 20th century, to the point that its beliefs have become almost indistinguishable from the platform of the Democratic Party. 
And these beliefs continue to evolve at about the same pace as those of today's politicians. In contrast, the Catholic Church has tried to stay true to historical Christian teachings while also continually adapting our theology and practices to the times and places in which we live. This balance of openness and fidelity is only possible under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, because it is so easy to fall off on one side or the other. One might point to the evangelical churches as also having been successful in walking this line, and I would not disagree. I think this is a mark of the evangelicals' openness to the Holy Spirit, though I worry that they lack the historical and theological depth to maintain this openness. My brothers and sisters in Christ, the point of this homily is not to denigrate other religions. Every religious person I know is authentically seeking God to the best of their abilities, and we should honor them for that desire. My point is simply that we also have to respond to truth. Some religions do a better job of describing and worshiping God than others. If you thought another religion was more accurate in their beliefs about God, I would expect you to leave the Catholic Church and join that religion, because we are bound to worship God to the best of our abilities. However, I would not preach this homily if I did not believe that the fullness of truth was, in fact, found in the Catholic Church. After Jesus' ascension, it is the Holy Spirit who leads us to all truth. And I have not found a church more responsive to the Holy Spirit than the Catholic Church, either in its fidelity to the Lord or in its evangelical openness to new forms of preaching and practice.